G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. Okay, the Bible reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. What a joy to be with you all this morning. What a joy to hear Sandra's story as well. What a great encouragement to us all this morning as we jump into Colossians chapter 3, a passage that is as stunning as it is confronting for us this morning. So as we do that, why don't you join me as I pray? Father God, what a privilege it is that we have your word given to us that we might discover more about who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. And so we pray this morning as we explore the incredible work that you have done in your son, in your son Jesus on the cross, we pray that we might be encouraged in awe and overflowing with thankfulness for Jesus. And we pray this, Jesus, in your precious and your wonderful and beautiful name. Amen. Alrighty, well, if there are any uh, F1 fans in the room this morning, then the story that I'm about to tell you might bring back some goosebumps for you because it was described as the race of a generation, the final race of the 2021 Formula One 
uh, season, the decider in the desert. The championship, F1 championship, is tied on points. You've got Lewis Hamilton, he's the seven-time world champion, and Max Verstappen, he's a 24-year-old young gun who'd never won a championship before. They're tied on points. Mercedes, that's Hamilton's vehicle. They've won the last seven years in a row. They've inflicted seven years of back-to-back pain on Red Bull and all the other teams. But maybe, just maybe, this year would end that winning streak. And so as you can imagine, emotions, they're at an all-time high because this is winner-takes-all stakes. And as the events begin to play out in the race, there's drama, there's controversy, there's teammates sacrificing their own races for others. And then as things would have it, with one lap remaining, remarkably, the two cars find themselves side by side, one flying lap to decide an entire year of racing. And just over 90 seconds later, Max Verstappen finds himself crossing the finish line first. The 24-year-old underdog has claimed victory over the seven-time world-reigning championship. That seven-year reign had come to an end. And as you can probably imagine, the celebrations go off. There's fireworks, there's cheering, there's hugs, there's crying. There's a lot of champagne going everywhere. It was a victory for the ages. Oh, well, at least for anyone who was interested in Formula One, I guess. It certainly was a victory for Max Verstappen. I mean, this victory changed his whole life. Not only did it add just a lazy 20 million to his annual kind of salary, but he went from that moment being the young gun to being referred to now as the world champion, record-breaking world champion he's now known as. For Max, that victory changed his whole life. It's not an uncommon story, really, when it comes to sporting world. I mean, victories have the capacity to change identities, don't they? Unknown people become household names. Great victories almost always bring about changes in identity. You know, in many ways, it's kind of what Paul's writing about here in Colossians. Because of the victory that Jesus has won, the great victory that he won on the cross, Christians have a new identity. It's really the foundation of all of what Paul's been saying for the previous chapters. We have been united to Christ, the cosmic king who defeated sin and death and all the forces of evil. And because we are in him, united to him, His victory is our victory, and it changes everything about who we are. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his son, chapter 1, verse 13. We who were once dead in our sin are now made alive in Christ, chapter 2, verse 13. See, Paul's been saying in these first few chapters, brothers and sisters, you are united to Christ, the cosmic and victorious king. And because you're united to him, you are victorious. You have new identities. And Paul wants these Colossian Christians to know who they are. 
know who they are in light of this new identity. You know, and in the middle of the chapter that we just read, chapter 3, verse 12, he actually provides this beautiful summary of what he's been saying in the previous two chapters about who the Colossian Christians are. He says that Christians are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, or dearly loved. Should if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, then just like the Colossian Christians, this is who you are. You're chosen by God. In an extraordinary act of grace, God decided to redeem you through his son, Jesus. Not because you earned it, but simply because he chose you. And you are holy. Now, holy can be a bit of a religious word. Maybe you associate holy with do-gooders who think they're better than everybody else. But holy simply means to be set apart. Because God chose you, forgave your sins, through Jesus' death on the cross, you've been made different. You've been set apart from the world. You've been made holy. And you are dearly loved. I mean, how could it be any other way, right? God stepped in and he rescued you from sin and death. He had his own son, whom he dearly loved, die in your place so that you might be with him forever. How could there be any other explanation for this other than you are dearly loved? If you're a Christian here today, that's who you are. Chosen, holy, and dearly loved by God. That's your new identity. Isn't that incredible? And it's that new identity that all of chapter 3 lies upon. Paul's saying, you have a new identity in Christ. So be who you are and love who you belong to. It's actually really, in fact, the big idea of all of Colossians. It's Paul saying, you have a new identity in Christ, brothers and sisters, so be who you are and love who you belong to. Firstly, be who you are by recognizing that you have a new home. Read with me chapter 3, verse 1. Hopefully you've still got it open in front of you. Paul writes this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then, Paul starts this section off, it's his way of saying, because of all of what I've been saying in the lead up to this point about you being in Christ, the cosmic king, Then seek the things that are above, verse 1. Or as the NIV puts it, set your hearts on the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, verse 2. Wait for the things that are above is the essence of what Paul is saying there in verse 4. Seek, set your minds and wait on the things above. In other words, let your whole lives be influenced by the things of heaven rather than the things of this world. 
You know that moment when you've been away from home for a long time and you're finally returning? Maybe you're driving home or you're sitting in the airport and you're waiting for the flight and all you can think about is that it's not long now until you're going to be in your own bed and the comfort of your own home. You know that feeling? It's a bit of a tough moment in that moment though, right? It's tiring. Perhaps the kids are over it and they're fighting. Or maybe you're staring at the boarding pass and you're seeing seat B and you're just praying that you're not stuck between two sweaty strangers. But as tough as that moment is, you just keep reminding yourself, soon, very soon, I'm going to be home, I'm going to be in my own bed, and everything's going to be all right. That's the Christian life here on earth. It's the final leg on your way home. And Paul's saying here in these opening verses, don't lose sight of home. Brothers and sisters, not long now, you're almost home. So don't get dragged away by foolish thinking. Don't go back to the life that you've been rescued from. Instead, fix your eyes on the things of heaven. Meditate on the things of heaven, on Jesus, on who he is And what he says, value these things, prioritize them, let them shape and influence your life in the here and now. Do you need this reminder and encouragement this morning? Are you being tempted to take your eyes off the things of heaven, where your home is, off Jesus? Maybe look at the circumstances of your life, circumstances that might bring confusion tempting you to question if God is really good, if he's worth it. Maybe circumstances that bring hurt, maybe your own brokenness or the brokenness of those around you is causing all this mess and it's tangling you up. Well, brothers and sisters, God's encouragement to you here through the words of Paul to the Colossians is you have been raised with Christ. Your life is hidden in him. Jesus is your life. And one day you are going to appear with him in glory. And nothing compares to the wonder of that truth. You know, whatever life might be throwing at you, however hard or challenging the circumstances you find yourself in, whilst it's certainly true that Jesus is with you in these moments on earth, and it is an incredible comfort that he promises to be with us. Do you know, it's actually more gloriously true and an even greater comfort to know that you are with Jesus in heaven. Now, maybe you say a bit tomato, tomato, isn't that sort of a bit of semantics? But just sit with that reality for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not so much that you invited Jesus into your heart, though there's elements of biblical truth to that. But what Paul is saying in Colossians is that what's more gloriously accurate is that Jesus invited you into his heart to dwell with him forever in eternity. Isn't that stunning? Do you know, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I put this to you? That if this is true, if what Paul's saying to the Colossians is true, then it is impossible to find, to think up, or come up with any thought or purpose more worth knowing than this. That nothing comes close to comparing to the wonder of this truth. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you have a new home. 
Therefore, let your thoughts, your actions on earth here be directed by the reality that your home is in heaven. Because as Paul's about to demonstrate, the culture of our lives here on earth should reflect the culture of our home in heaven. And it means, like all cultures and subcultures, that we've got to embrace a new look. Because our new culture, it comes with a new wardrobe. Read with me verse 5. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you, want, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You know, the put off and put on language of this section here carries the idea of taking off old clothes and putting on new ones. It's why the NIV translates verse 12 as clothe yourselves. And so here in verses 5 through to 9, it's kind of like Paul saying, hey, people, that's your old wardrobe. It's linked to your old identity In verse 7, he says, this is how you once walked when you were living in them. See, your old identity, it was clothed in selfishness. That's really what Paul's list here demonstrates. Sexual immorality, impurity, and passion, or lust, it's kind of open-ended ways of describing what happens when people take sex, ignore God's good purposes and design, and use it for their own selfish gain and satisfaction. It's kind of like selfishness at its peak. Me, 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 self-gratification, all about what others can give to me. It's really the same for evil desires and covetedness or greed. You know, placing the interests of others above the interests, placing the interests of self above the interests of others. It's failing to trust in God's goodness as provider of all the good things. It's taking matters into our own hands so that we can get the best life for ourselves. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from our mouths. It's just the verbal reality of the same heart position. It's kind of demonstrating that the mouth is just like the sewerage pipe for our own hearts. Paul's lists here in Colossians, they're not comprehensive lists of all the ways in which our old identity is riddled with sin and selfishness. It might not identify every piece of clothing in our wardrobe, but it does a pretty good job of highlighting what our old-fashioned style is, doesn't it? Selfishness. It underpins, really, what lies at the heart of what sin is, how we naturally relate to God and to others. And therefore, as Paul says in verse 6, why God's righteous judgment is needed. Because we're all guilty of it. I wouldn't really need to give you all that much time to do a little reflection on your own life for you to come up with moments where you've acted selfishly, treating others because you've put your own interests first saying things that hurt or cut others down. And I reckon most of us would need even less time to be able to identify it in the people around us, which really only stands to demonstrate, A, just how much it is everywhere, and B, how selfish we are because we tend to see it more quickly in others than in ourselves. 
But Paul is saying for those in Christ, that's not how you dress anymore. You ought to remove selfishness from your lives. Your new identity means you have a new wardrobe. Read with me verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Gee, that's a glorious statement right there. You know, it could be really easy to miss in between the two wardrobe descriptions, but it's such an important part of what Paul's saying. Because Paul's saying your whole new look is designed by and modeled by Jesus. He created your new self in his image. And so before even telling them what this new look even is, Paul wants to remind them that their new look will not come because they decide to be better people, but it'll come by putting on the new self, which is all about looking to Jesus. It's all about doing what Paul said in verses 1 to 4, seek, set, wait. That's how you get dressed. Brothers and sisters, we're about to be confronted by a new wardrobe. And I want to say, if in a moment when we go through verses 12 to 14, you find that easy reading, then I'm going to suggest that you haven't really heard what Paul's saying. But before we walk out of here with our shoulders slumped and feeling defeated by just how bad our spiritual fashion sense tends to be, then I want you to let these words of verse 10 sink in. Your new self is, not might be, is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Chosen, holy, and dearly loved children of God. People who are one day going to appear with Jesus in glory. Jesus is working in you. You are being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. All right. Are you ready for this? Time to get dressed. Let's go. Verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. What a contrast, right? This isn't just a little minor outfit adjustment. This is an entire wardrobe overhaul, and there is not a single item of clothing that is the same. It's the complete opposite. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. They're all selfless attitudes, aren't they? The result of taking the posture of putting others ahead of ourselves. But it's worth noting at this particular point in the letter, Paul is primarily talking about how Christians relate to one another in the church. Though the principles here definitely carry throughout all of life, the one another language there in verse 12 tells us that he's talking to Christians about the way they treat each other in the church. He's going to go on a little bit later in the letter to talk about what living at home looks like what living with those outside the church looks like. But right now, here in these verses, he's talking about the way that we relate to each other in the church. Paul's saying, these are your church clothes. 
compassion, humility, patience, which is literally translated big-hearted there in verse 12. That's how you ought to interact with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The people sitting in this room, those who will gather later tonight, this is all about loving who you belong to because your unity to Christ also means unity with them. And it's just a reflection of how Jesus has loved you. Did you notice that when we were reading through that list? It's really just a description of the character of Jesus. Have a look at verse 12 and 13 again as I kind of walk through the gospel story. Jesus, who showed us compassion and kindness, when in the ultimate act of humility, gave up his throne in heaven to die on a cross for us. Jesus, filled with meekness and patience towards us, in the midst of our rejection of him, bore our burden of sin on himself on the cross, forgiving us when we least deserved it. See, our whole new look, it's all about reflecting Jesus. But let's be real. As simple as it's all about reflecting Jesus sounds, it's actually crazy hard, right? Especially when we're tired and overstretched and struggling in life. Because, man, the church, it's filled with so many messed up people, isn't it? You know, that person that always talks about themselves and has an expert opinion on absolutely everything, who seems to always talk down to you as though you're not as smart as them? You know, the parent that always brags about their children's achievements and whose self-righteous attitude just seems to find fault with all of your parenting? You know, the person that's always making ill-informed comments that are actually quite hurtful? Or the person who never seems to understand what it's like to be a teenager in 2024, constantly dismissing your concerns, telling you, don't worry, back in my day. You know, the person who never listens to anything that you say, always forgets your name and never knows what it is that you do or what grade you're in at school. See, the idea that people would treat us with compassion, kindness, patience, well, that's a beautiful community. Who wouldn't want to be part of that? But the rubber hits the road here in Paul's words when we realize that that means we've got to do the same for everybody else, for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know C.S. Lewis, the famous author, once, once wrote this. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It's true, isn't it? We love being on the end of all of these things that Paul writes here in Colossians. But forgiving others... Bearing with others, showing compassion and kindness, humility and patience, that's not easy. Because bearing with one another and forgiving one another, it includes the people who rub you the wrong way. Do you know, if you're exploring church here this morning and you're looking for a church, a church community that doesn't have any people in it that will rub you the wrong way, well, I'm here to tell you, City on a Hill isn't the church for you. But I'm also here to tell you, that you won't find a church like that anywhere. Because what's extraordinary about the Christian community is that what brings us together, it's not that we all have the same interests or we have the same personality types that match and it mean we all get along in perfect harmony. 
No, it's that we're all people chosen by God, made holy, and dearly loved. You know, just a couple of weekends ago, I got to experience the wonderful reality of this. When I get to spend a weekend with a bunch of guys here from Sitting on a Hill thinking through what youth ministry might look like in 2024. And, you know, the truth is, I hardly really knew the people involved. And they weren't all like me, which is a great blessing for youth ministry at this church. But, you know, the more I got to know them, the more I got to hear their story the more in love with Jesus I became. Because I saw again and again and again the wonder of the gospel at work in people who weren't just like me. The reality that God had chosen these people to unite them together, and I was part of that. It felt a little bit like a chapter out of A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. You know that great kid's story about a a motley band of kind of stuffed animals? There's a honey-loving bear, the timid piglet, the bouncy tiger, the pessimistic kind of donkey. You know, they all come together just to navigate adventures and life together. Well, I'm not going to go through the group and you work out who matches which character. You can do that in your own time. But I will say that that weekend reminded me of what's beautiful about God's church. Different people with different personalities, different passions, different histories, united together solely by the grace of God. You know, it's when we lose sight of this reality, not only do we lose sight of just how beautiful God's church is, but it's when we also start to drift back to our old-fashioned styles. You know the old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? 100%. That applies to the church. Because remember, God chooses. And everybody was adopted into his family on the same merit and on the same level that you were through Christ. So if we're going to be a church that displays the heavenly culture of our new identities, then we're going to need to navigate our way through the tensions and frustrations that living together brings. And it starts by doing exactly what Paul tells us to. It starts by clothing ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with forgiveness. As you reflect on the people that God has called you to in this room, how might this truth change who you choose to talk to after the service this morning? How might it change who you choose to invite into your home? How might it change the way you talk about others in this Room, who are part of this church family. How might it encourage you to make contact with someone who needs encouragement this week? Because the wardrobe of our new identity in Christ it isn't just about tolerating people for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. No, it's about seeking to grow and sometimes even repair relationships with those God has chosen to place beside you. Paul's saying, remember the compassion, kindness, and forgiveness that Christ has given you. And so as freely as you have received these things, freely offer them to each other. You know, as the band comes back up, Paul finishes this whole wardrobe conversation in verse 14 by telling the church to put on love. He says this, read it with me. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect 
harmony. Love's kind of like the poncho of the wardrobe. It's not the perfect accessory that just gives you the drip. No, it goes over the top of the whole lot that you're wearing and becomes the whole look. Love for one another is what makes all of this possible. A love that comes from God himself. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's how we're going to live like this. It's the Holy Spirit working within us constantly, reminding us of who we are, chosen, forgiven, and dearly loved people of God. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to help us set our minds and our hearts on the things above, empowering us to put off what comes so naturally and put on what comes from Christ. It's the Holy Spirit given to us by God who will enable us to know God's love for us more deeply and in turn love others more sincerely. Brothers and sisters who are in Christ Jesus our Lord, you have a new identity in Jesus. So be who you are and love who you belong to. Let's pray. Father God, there is no one like you. You have loved us more than we could ever fully comprehend, inviting us into your heart and renewing us to be more like you. Jesus, complete your work in us, we pray. Help us to set our hearts and minds on the things of heaven, looking forward to that day when we will appear with you in glory. Jesus, work in us that we might truly be a city on a hill, a beacon of light in this city of Brisbane. May people see our love for one another and give glory to you. For you alone are worthy. And Jesus, we pray in your name that is above every name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.